Let's pray together. Oh God, on eagles' wings, lift us, please. As Kim and her friends have led us this morning, focusing our hearts and minds on that high calling, it is clear you will have to lift us. Let those wings swoop beneath us now as we turn to Holy Scripture. Let Scripture please be clear. Hide all the noises. Hush the clamor. Let the voice of Christ speak through His Word. We pray in His name. Amen. The 18th century English playwright William Congreves wrote a play once entitled The Morning Bride. That's M-O-U-R-I-N-G. The grieving, the sorrowing bride. And out of his play, a single line that has become a proverb we know well today. Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Some of you know from personal experience, perhaps, that uh, proverb. Hell hath no fury. No fury like a woman scorned. It is one of the most stunning about faces in all of Scripture. It sucks your breath away. One moment. He is courageously standing intrepid and alone against the entire evil empire and the forces of darkness. One lone defender of the Creator God. And the next moment, in less than 24 hours, he is in a spiraling freefall, a spiritual meltdown, and he runs for his life, which only goes to show the veracity of the wry observation of Scripture when it declares Elijah was a man subject to like passions. He was just like us. Courageous today, craven tomorrow. Does that sound familiar or what? Been there and done that? Bought the t-shirt to prove it, right? You and me and Elijah. So that it will not happen to us one day when it really matters, as it did to Elijah. We must return one last time to his story. Now, I want you to know this is the last time in his story. Some of you will be relieved. The last time with Elijah. We'll move to something else in our journey. Open your Bible, please. To the book of 1 Kings, chapter 18. Hell hath... No fury like a woman scorned. Read it with me. We'll go back to where we left off last time. 1 Kings chapter 18. I'll be in the New King James Version today, which is the version of the Pew Bible in front of you. So if you didn't bring a Bible, just grab that one in front of you. Pull it out. This would be page 249. 249. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 38. All right, 1 Kings 18, 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice. Have you you ever been in your house? Seriously, have you ever been in your house when a sonic boom 
cracks the heavens above. You know what a sonic boom is, don't you? It's when a, when a jet breaks the uh, sound barrier, isn't that right? And this is kaboom, and the whole house shakes, right? Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now, verse 39, when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And, verse 40, Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let one of them escape. So they seized them. 850 prophets and priests. 850. They seized them all. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. The NIV tries to soften this up to suggest that maybe it was not Elijah, but no, it was Elijah. 850 slaughtered by one man. Verse 41. Then, hands still dripping. Then, Elijah said to Ahab, Go up and eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to hit the pause button right there to remind you, the, the heavens over Elijah are like brass. There hasn't been a cloud in three and a half years. And so for this man to look in the face of that wily king and say, I hear rain coming. There is no evidence anywhere on earth for rain. It is sheer, raw faith. Sometimes you have to declare what you will never know in your spirit. You just have to declare it. I hear the sound of rain. Some of you are facing some insurmountable odds. You are certain. You have to declare to those odds and those obstacles in your life. You declare, I hear the sound of God's intervention. You have to declare it even if you can't feel it. All right? So he declares it. But he knows there's nothing. So, verse 42, Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went to the top of Mount Carmel. I've stood on the summit. I almost, I almost showed my pictures to you today. I've stood on that summit. That is holy ground, Mount Carmel. He goes up to the very top. And what did he do? He went up to the summit and there, and then he bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees. You know what? There are times in your life when you have to put your face between your knees. You will come to the, if you haven't come to it yet, trust me, you will come to it where your face is between your knees and you are begging God to intervene in your life. Trust me, you will come if you haven't been there yet. And he put his face between his knees. And then he said to his servant, verse, verse 43, hey, hey, go now, look toward the sea. Anything coming yet? And so he went and looked and he came back and he said, Master, there's nothing. And seven times, he said, go again. He prays, go again. He prays, go again. And then verse 44, it came to pass the seventh time, hallelujah, that the servant said, you're not going to believe this, but there is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising up out of the sea. And so Elijah said, quit, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot, chariot and go down before the rain stops you, verse 45. And now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind and there was a heavy rain. And so Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. And I love verse 46. And then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah and he girded up his loins, that long robe. He grabs the edge and shoves it into his belt and he runs in front of Ahab the entire way from Carmel to Jezreel. Have mercy. The man is on an adrenaline high. 
Verse 1, chapter 19, and Ahab, dripping wet, goes sloshing in to the palace. There hasn't been rain in three and a half years. Ahab says, honey, you're not going to believe what happened. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and also how he had executed all her, her boys, her prophets, with the sword. And then, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. I wish you'd write that down. I wish you would not forget that line. Take out your uh, worship study guide today. It's in your bulletin. Pull it out, please. I'd like you to jot it down. Those of you who are watching on television right now, you can join us actually with this study guide. If you uh, Let me put it on the screen for you. www. That's our website. You can go to the website, www.pmchurch.tv. Thank you, ushers. Just hold your hand up. If you didn't get one, I'll get back to you on television in a moment. But just hold your hand up if you're here. Get a study guide, please, today. Those of you watching, go to that website. Click on to, to our series called Eternity's Edge. You just click on Eternity's Edge and then you go to today's teaching, which is Prelude to Persecution. You click on to that teaching and you will have the identical study guide. And don't worry about it if you can't quite follow all the way through, if we get to going too fast, because at the bottom of your web study guide, the answers are all there. All right? The answers today will be in yellow on the screen. The answers will be in yellow on the screen. I wish you'd get that line down, please. Hell hath no fury... Like a woman scorned. The words of William Congreves. Let me read verse 2 again. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And verse 3, When he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. And he left his servant there, verse 4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came and sat down under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. And he said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. And so Elijah ran. He ran. The threat of extermination was too strong for that lone prophet. Physically, emotionally, spiritually exhausted after that showdown with evil, Elijah now spirals into a devastating free fall and begs God to kill him. Take my life. Hell hath no fury. And so facing the fury of hell, Elijah broke. And he ran. So that we will not. I want to share with you now four lessons. Consider with me, please, these four lessons. Write them down. Lesson number one. Revival. What is revival? Revival is a return to the Creator God. Always in a revival, there is a return to the Creator God. Revival always triggers, write it down, opposition. Opposition. When you stand up for the Creator, somebody will attempt to stand you down. Trust me. You know why? Because the sun god, the counterfeit creator and his adherents will never stand by and allow their dominion to be threatened without striking back. This, this very stark truth powerfully captured in the Greek Old Testament. It's called the Septuagint. 
Not in any English translation, but the Greek translation has it. And let me put the Septuagint version of, of 1 Kings 19, verse 2 on the screen for you. And this is the, the Greek spelling. And Jezebel sent to Eliu. Now remember the name Eliah. Eliah means Yahweh is my God. She sent to Eliu and said, If you are Eliu, I belong to Yahweh. And I am Jezebel. The end of her name has Baal in it. I belong to Baal. God do so to me and more so also if I do not make your life by this time tomorrow as the life of one of them. The Septuagint captures that wicked queen's taunt to Elijah. Jot it down. You belong to the Creator God. I belong to the Son God. Let's see who's still standing by tomorrow night. So help me, gods, if you are not a corpse... In 24, 24, in 24, stuff can happen in 24, right? The sun God and his adherents will never stand by and allow their religion to be threatened by the creator God and his followers without striking back. And guess what? That's the truth of the Jezebel in the New Testament. I want to, I want to take you back to the Jezebel in the New Testament. That would be the Bible's last book. That would be the Apocalypse. Go to the book of Revelation, please. Revelation chapter 17. That would be page 831 in the Pew Bible. Please go to Revelation chapter 17. Let me show her to you there. Revelation chapter 17. Let's pick it up in verse 3. All right, Revelation 17, verse 3. So he carried me. That's John writing. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman. Here she comes. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Verse 4. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. Verse 5. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, and the abominations of the earth. And now here it comes. Verse 6. And I saw the woman drunk, intoxicated with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. And so she drinks the blood of the saints and martyrs, those who had the moral courage to stand up for the Creator before this bride of the sun God. So help me, gods, if you are not a corpse in 24, and by the tens of thousands through the long dark ages, they became her corpses. Slaughter for their faith and for the truth of Jesus. Faith of our fathers. Holy faith. We will be true. To thee, we will be true till death. Lesson number one of four. Revival. Return to the Creator God always triggers opposition. Now, jot this down before we go to lesson number two. This is from Great Controversy. Write it down. One line. Opposition is the lot of all whom God employs to present truths specially applicable to their time. End quote. You can count on it. You can count on it. Lesson number one. Here comes lesson number two. Revival, the return to the Creator God, 
always precipitates persecution. Before I share with you one of the most heart-rending eyewitness accounts of physical persecution within just the last few years, I would not be faithful to this teaching if I didn't share with you also a most disconcerting text. I wish, I wish this text were not in my Bible. I wish it were not in your Bible either. But it is, and because it is, we must confront it. You're in the New Testament with Revelation. Just go back a few books to a tiny little letter called 2 Timothy. Go back to 2 Timothy, just a few pages. 2 Timothy, chapter 3. Let me give you the page number. 801. Go back to 2 Timothy. I wish this verse weren't there, but it is. And so to faithfully teach Holy Scripture to you, I must point out. The verse does exist. 2 Timothy chapter 3, drop down to verse 12. One line. These are the last written words of Paul, by the way. This is it. This is the last thing you will write on earth. The next move for Paul is severing his head from his torso as he is decapitated outside the city of Rome. So Paul knows of which he writes. Watch this. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will, not maybe, not perhaps, will suffer persecution. Write that down in your study guide so you'll never forget it. All who desire to live godly. Kim was just a moment ago saying, do you want to live godly? Do you want to live godly? And we're saying, yep, yep, yep. Well, here's the good news. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Fill that entire text in. Welcome to the most unpopular subject in the Bible. You have never heard a sermon on persecution. I have never preached a sermon on persecution. The point is, if you want to live a godly life in Jesus Christ, you will suffer persecution. You're saying, Pastor, what is persecution? Write this down. Persecution is opposition turned violent. That's what it is. Violent. Deadly. My friend June Byrne, God bless her, she loaned me this book. And over the holidays, I got a chance to read it. I'm going to tell you something. I don't think I will ever be the same again for having read the book entitled Heavenly Man. If you can ever find this, read it. Heavenly Man. It's the gripping first-person account of a young communist Chinese named Liu Zhenying, who at the age of 16, back in 1974, became a Christian and eventually a leader in the house church movement in communist China. But because he refused to join Mao's three self-patriotic movement for government-controlled churches, he was hunted as an enemy of the state, arrested for the first time at the age of 17 for his faith. It is estimated that he spent the majority of his married life either in prison or on the lamb or on the run. He was once delivered. Oh, listen to this. He was once delivered from a maximum security prison the very way Peter was in the book of Acts. I'm telling you the truth. We have eyewitnesses who watched it happen from behind him. He had been beaten to a pulp. He was hardly able to put his weight on his legs. But something told him, start walking. And he started walking. And the doors to the maximum security, just were, they were all open. Guards were standing there. And it was as if he were invisible. They, their eyes didn't blink. He just walked straight in front of them. Door after door after door until he's in the courtyard. He goes out onto the city streets and nobody sees him. When I read that, I said, I am so glad the God of Acts is a friend of mine. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. It just affirmed my faith. 
in our Holy Father. Anyway, the authorities of the PSB, the Public Security Bureau, were ruthless and brutal when they caught up with him. And he would get away, and they caught up with him again. One such horrendous experience of persecution he describes in graphic detail. It's so graphic that I cannot even read it all to you. Won't put any pictures on the screen. I'm not even going to put the words on the screen. The only picture you will have is what is in your mind. It will be sufficient. Let me tell you. Let me just read uh, a line or two. This is page 71. Let me just read this. Okay? Here it is. Okay, here's one of them. Because of the efforts being made by the authorities to catch us in that place, my co-workers were very concerned for my safety. They relocated me to northern Hubei province. We slept in caves and fled on foot from one place to another. Our clothes were torn and our hair unkempt. People were disgusted by us and considered us, he quotes 1 Corinthians 4, the scum of the earth and the refuse of the world. How would you like to have to be on the run because of your faith in America? I spent much time in the northern part of Hubei. Many miracles took place. Hallelujah. And the gospel was spread to thousands of people. This grabbed the attention of the PSB and the government in the whole border area of Hubei. And Henan went on the alert. The storm of persecution soon came upon us. All right. So he gets arrested. One of the many times. Let me just read this to you. Listen now. That day. So he's in prison. That day, two new officers came to interrogate me. You see, they wanted to know, where are the others? Where are the others? Where are the others? Who are the other leaders in this movement? And he would not, he was refused to say a word. That day, two new officers came to interrogate me. I refused to talk. I just closed my eyes and lay down. One of the men kicked me and shouted, You, you will speak today. The other, the other officer forced my eyelids open and said, Look around, Yoon. We have methods to deal with people like you. If you don't want to speak, we'll make you. This time they had brought various instruments of torture with them, including whips and chains. Another officer approached me with an electric baton. He turned the voltage up to the highest level and he struck my face, head and various parts of my body with it. Immediately my body was filled with overwhelming agony as if a thousand arrows had pierced my heart. The electricity is just going through him as they hold that baton to him. The Holy Spirit encouraged, encouraged me with three scriptures from the Bible. Isaiah 53, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Isn't that so? I, uh, by meditating on the Word of God, the Lord strengthened me to endure. I realized that any suffering I was to go through was nothing compared to what Jesus had suffered for me. All right, the next one, I can't even, I'm not even going to read it to you because it's, it's too graphic for this setting here of how a doctor used a hypodermic needle inserted beneath his fingernails to force him to disclose where these people are. He said, mercifully, mercifully, God let me fall unconscious when he hit the third finger. Mercifully. But the ultimate shame, the ultimate shame in front of the prisoners, listen to this. Every day at a set time, and by now he's emaciated, he's skin and bones, he decided to go on a fast, he refused to eat. Every day at a set time, the other prisoners were allowed out to exercise in the yard. One afternoon, I was also carried to the yard, skin and bones, where the guards instructed the men to throw me into a septic tank where the waste of all the prisoners was collected. And he's thrown into that sewer. And then the guards eliminated on top of him. The guards then electrocuted me again and again and forced me to crawl like a dog through the human feces. They kicked me with their steel cap boots, forcing me to roll over in the excrement. All who desire 
to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Why? What's going on here? How can anybody be so diabolical? That's the answer. Diablos. Greek. Devil. Because you see, the dragon is enraged with the woman, the community of Christ's followers. Satan knows that he was made a public spectacle before the watching universe at the cross, Colossians 2.15, when Christ ignominiously defeated him and even shattered the chains of the grave. And because that man-child, Revelation 12, is snatched up to heaven, the dragon is livid with fury. He can't touch him, and so he'll go for them. And he goes. Revelation 12:17 You do know this verse, don't you? And the dragon was enraged with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, these who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. That's why there's persecution, ladies and gentlemen. I know what you're saying. <laughs> but come on, Dwight, not today. Not today. Are you kidding? Are you serious? Listen to this. The Human Rights Organization Christian Solidarity International, you'll need to write this down, estimates that more Christians died for their faith in the 20th century than at any other time in history. Write it down. With 150,000 being martyred in a recent 12-month period. Martyred. Persecution? Precisely. Oh, come on. Come on, Pastor. Not in America. Well, you're right. Open Doors International, the top five countries on their world watch list are North Korea, Saudi Arabia, Vietnam, Laos, and Iran. But as James Risen's new book that came out just a few weeks ago entitled State of War reports, our nation's war with global terrorism has resulted in the clandestine activities our own government has undertaken all in the name of national security. Secret wiretaps, secret air flights, secret interrogations, secret coercion methods. Could it happen here? What do you think? All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Anywhere on earth, in China, in America. By the way, i got to... I gotta share this with you. Do you know, do you know what kept Brother Yoon alive spiritually during his terrible persecution? Soon after his conversion, he began to memorize the Bible and eventually committed entire books to memory so that when he was incarcerated for months and sometimes even years and not a Bible in sight, he would reach down into what was already hidden in his heart, pull it back up and meditate on it. It kept him sane and in contact with Christ. Which is the perfect opportunity to remind you that we are undertaking a a journey this new year that is focusing on hiding the Word of God, the most significant words of God deep in our hearts. It's called Truth Tables, Wednesday Night House of Prayer, right here, 7 o'clock. You come, you come, you'll never be the same. Never. Just like Yoon, you hide it. Lesson number one, revival always triggers opposition. Lesson number two, revival always precipitates persecution, which, by the way, was Jesus' point in the Sermon on the Mount. Take a look at this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. 
Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets who were before you. On the eve of Jesus' death, before his execution in less than 24 hours, he spoke John 16:33. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. Hey, get this, fellas, he says. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Jesus knew the meaning of persecution for standing up for the Creator. He's trying to tell the truth about the Bible Sabbath. And immediately after one of his seven seventh-day miracles, Mark 3, verse 6, takes place. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Stand up for the Creator God. Be warned. Church and state. The Herodians are state. Church and state join in that elimination. My friend John Pauline teaches over here in the Theological Seminary New Testament. The other day, he shared these words from M. Scott Peck with me. I thought these words were prescient. I want to put the words on the screen for you. M. Scott Peck just recently died, the best-selling author and psychiatrist. Okay, let me put it on the screen. M. Scott Peck, we are attracted to a person who is one stage ahead of us, spiritually speaking. Isn't that true? But we are perplexed by a person who is two stages ahead of us. That's why Jesus was killed. The Jews and the Romans thought he was evil. We can handle somebody who's not too far in advance of us. You know, come on. I mean, I have a little growth to do, but it's no big deal. But let somebody go a quantum step ahead. Then suddenly, I'm exposed. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you live. When you take a radical stand to live a godly life in the honor, in honor of the Lord Jesus Christ, that very stance will inadvertently expose the fecklessness of others and to silence their conscience or to wipe out the contrast between their lives and yours, they will seek to drive you away or eliminate you, period. Nobody likes to be reminded of his or her moral deficiency or cowardice. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, will suffer persecution. Lesson one, revivals always trigger opposition. Number two, revival always precipitates persecution. Write it down. Number three, there is no persecution today because there is no revival today. Write it down. Clarion, crystal clear. These words, great controversy. Take a look at this. Great controversy, page 48. Note, uh, note the three causes. The three reasons why there's no persecution in the church today. Let me start reading here. Why is it then that persecution seems in a great de degree to slumber? The only reason is that the church has conformed to the world standard and therefore awakens no opposition. The religion which is current in our day is not of the pure and holy character that marked the Christian faith in the days of Christ and His apostles. It is only because of one. Here come the three. Now, here are the reasons, three reasons why there's no persecution. Number one, because the spirit of compromise with sin will just go ahead and keep on doing it anyway. I don't care what anybody says. We'll just go ahead and keep doing it. The spirit of compromise with sin. Number two, because the great truths of the Word of God are so indifferently regarded. The Bible isn't true. Who needs the Bible to tell us what we ought to be doing around here? And number three, because there is so little vital godliness in the church that Christianity is apparently so popular with the world. I, emphasis mine now. Let there be a revival of the faith and power of the early church and the spirit of persecution will be revived and the fires of persecution will be rekindled. End quote. 
Ladies and gentlemen, the church, the world in the West has no reason to persecute the followers of Christ today. Do you know why? Do you know why? Because by and large, the world can't tell the difference between the children of darkness and the children of light. That's why. We're all the same. What's the big deal? We eat the same. We dress the same. We sing the same. We sound the same. We think the same. We believe the same. We act the same. We spend the same. We read the same. We assign the same. We watch the same. We are the same. We're the same. Who's going to oppose sameness? Nobody opposes sameness. The only time you'll ever be imposed, opposed in this life is if you're different. As Pascal, Blaise Pascal, the French philosopher, mathematician, once wrote, and he's absolutely right, what you need to become is a pivot point. In a crowd of people moving down the sidewalk, you stop. If you will stop, suddenly your stopping exposes the movement of everybody around you. And you will stand out. You will stand out. Because you've stopped. He said, I cannot go. I cannot go this direction. I'm telling you, you who are young, we watch you very carefully around here. If you stop, some of us who are moving will sense we're moving and we will be led to stop too. You've got to have the guts to stop. You don't have to go with the flow and ride with the tide. Be a man. Be a woman. Stop. Just stop. You will expose the rest of us. And we'll either say, too bad for you, or we'll say, why am I moving? And that boy is stopped. Oh, great. I hear what you're saying. Oh, great. Thanks, Dwight. Let's all become like the Amish. And that way we'll look different than the rest of society. And revival will come at last. (laughs) Nobody is suggesting that, and neither am I. Not at all. Write this down, will you? The point is not to see how different we can be. The point is to see how much like Jesus we can become. That's the point. Become like Jesus. Don't try to be different for for the sake of being different. Try to be like Jesus for the sake of becoming like Him. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus. Do you desire, as Kim appealed to us a moment ago, do you desire to live a holy life? Do you? All who desire. You know what godly means, don't you? Godly means God-like. It's just an abbreviation of God-like. And do you know what God-like means? God-like means Christ-like. And do you know what Christ-likeness means? It means revival. I'm not looking for persecution. No. But I am longing for revival in the community of faith. Nobody's suggesting, oh, let's, let, let's, let's, all, let's all seek revival so that we can bring persecution on. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that at all. Let's just seek revival for the sake of seeking Jesus. What do you say? You let the, let the chips fall where they may. Have a passion for Christ Jesus. How can revival come to the church in the West in the same way it came to Elijah? Lesson four, I want to end with this. Lesson four. The secret is embedded... In the seven prayers of Elijah atop Mount Carmel. Hey, come on. Truth. Be honest. Have you ever wondered why it took seven prayers for Elijah to get rain? 
one prayer and he gets fire, but it takes seven prayers to get water. What's up with that? On the bottom of my page for 1 Kings chapter 18, I have these words written and I've now given them to you in the study guide. You'll have to fill it in to make it complete. Let me read these words to you. Elijah, while he's praying seven times, he kept reviewing his life to see where he had failed to honor God. He confessed his sins and thus continued to afflict his soul before God. As he searched his heart, he seemed to be less, both in his own estimation and in the sight of God. It seemed to him that he was nothing and that God was everything. And when he reached the point of renouncing self, self, while he clung to the Savior as his only strength and righteousness, then... The answer came. Lesson four, write it down. It is the seventh prayer that is the secret to revival. Not I, but you. Not I, but you. Elijah finally broke down and prayed that prayer with all his heart. And the barren heavens opened up and the reviving rain poured down on a parched earth. Not I, but you. Not I, but you. For too long the church in the West, surrounded with her affluence and her degrees, has prayed, not you, but I. But until we pray the seventh prayer of Elijah, the heavens above us will remain as brass forever. Not I, but you. I've got to tell you this. My PowerPoint partner who is up in the mezzanine level is a seminary student named Daniel Romanov. He's a Russian. His grandfather, Kulikov, his grandfather was incarcerated in hard labor camps in Siberia because his grandfather would not yield his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Michael, uh, uh, so Daniel rather, who came to meet me yesterday when we were, when we were putting all this together, he, brought, he said, Pastor, I got a poem I got to share with you. And I'm inserting the poem right here. It's a poem written by Theodore Monad. Beautiful poem. I'll put it on the screen. Just kind of meditate on this. Oh, the bitter shame and sorrow that a time could ever be when I let the Savior's pity plead in vain and proudly answered, All of self and none of thee. Yet He found me. I beheld Him bleeding on the accursed tree. I heard Him pray, Father, for, forgive them, Father. And my wistful heart said faintly, Some of self and some of thee. Day by day, His tender mercy, healing, helping, full and free, brought me lower while I whispered, None of self, but all of Thee. Ladies and gentlemen, that is what was happening in Gethsemane. Jesus is struggling. Can I let go? Can I fully let go and let God have absolute sway? When He sobs the prayer, Oh, Father, not what I want, but what you want. In the garden, on the cross, it's the same prayer. Not I, but you. Hey, get this. Mount Carmel, Mount Calvary, same prayer, same surrender. Not I, not me. Not I, but you. And that, my dear friends, that is the prayer of revival. It's also the prelude to persecution. But hey, come on, forget about the persecution. And join me in seeking after that revival. Not I, but you. For surely, when persecution comes, as it will come to the West one day, when persecution comes, hallelujah, the God of Elijah 
will be with us too. What do you say? Amen. Let's pray. Oh God, not I but you. Please, for all of us here in the West, for all of us in the East, please, Holy Father, teach us to pray the seventh prayer. Not I, not I, but Christ.